I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Kings. Like the old preacher said, double I Kings. Book of Kings chapter 4, 2 Kings 4. We'll start reading with verse 8. One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. That way he can stay here whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? By the way, when you remember that Elisha was Elijah's protege, Elijah the prophet who I want to meet, one of the first five people I want to meet in heaven. You know who the first person is outside Jesus I want to meet in heaven? Beniah. I want to meet Beniah. Anyway, do a study of him. He's an amazing person. Um, Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind of fire in a chariot of fire and went to heaven. Elisha was his protege. And the promise that Elijah made to Elisha was this. If you'll follow me close enough that you see me when I'm caught up, then you'll have a double portion of my anointing on you. And did you know that almost miracle for miracle, Elisha performed twice the miracles Elijah did and while Elijah ministered in obscurity and in opposition to the king and to royalty and political uh, demagoguery as it were Elisha was granted favor with the leaders of his nation and he was ushered into the king's presence on numerous occasions so there is no substitute for the favor of God she replied I have a home among my own people well, what can be done for her Elisha asked Gehazi said she has no son, and her husband is old. And Elisha said, Call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, You will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. In other words, she thought Elisha was making fun of her. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, My head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly in return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. So she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God, Elisha, at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant, Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. Think about that. That's a whole sermon right there. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress now, Elisha was a prophet, but listen to what he said. But the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Just because you're a prophet doesn't mean God reveals everything to you. That's why these naysayers reach out to these ministers on TV and say, well, if you're a prophet, then tell me 
who's going to win the Super Bowl or blah, blah, blah. And they don't understand God doesn't operate that way. Elisha said, uh, let's see, back up. She, she is not, he has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak in your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. If anyone greets you, don't answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. She wasn't happy with the staff. She was not going to leave Elisha. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. Now, just so you will know, I am not suggesting that any of us pray for somebody in this fashion. When I come to your house and pray for you, I ain't going to lay on top of you, all right? I'm just going to pray for you. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. Surely don't do it a second time. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. What an amazing story. Today I want to bring you a message entitled, Things I Learned from My Mama. Things I Learned from My Mama. How many of you knew somebody in your childhood whose relationship with their mother was strange, kind of bizarre? Anybody know anybody like that in your childhood? (laughs) We had a little boy in our church. I'm not even going to say his first name, because if he were to somehow find this, he would know who who it was. We kind of felt sorry for him because their whole family lived in the swamp and they were, I'm not, I'm, they did. And I'm, I'm, I'm not, they were just different, you know. My sisters came home from church one day. My sisters ran the children's church. They came home from church one day and they were like, my dad said, what's got y'all all goggle-eyed? I said, we had a project for the kids to do this morning. Daddy said, what was it? He said, well, we gave everybody a bunch of magazines, and we asked them to cut out pictures that represented their mom to them. All the kids cut out beautiful pictures of flowers and, and birds and sunrises and beautiful women, and, except this one kid. Daddy said, well, well, what did he cut out? She said, a, a piece of fried chicken and a chainsaw. <laughs> this reminds you. You just don't ever know. Same kid and his mom were sitting in church. The truth. Sitting in church one day. Gina, wave at everybody. Just stick your hand up. About where Gina's sitting. That's where they were. And the little boy was sitting on this side of her. I'm sitting a couple rows back. This happened. I saw it with my own two eyes. Little boy sitting there like this, still as a statue for like 20 minutes. Doesn't move. There's not a word passed between them. Out of nowhere. Little boy just turns, looks at his mama, and goes, pow, right upside her head. She grabs him in a headlock and starts punching him in the head. 
He wriggles out. He tries to do a sidekick. He misses, gets under the pew. Now she's kicking at him, and he's crawling up under the pews all over the church. All the women see this little boy. Ah! It's like, you know, we just lost total control of the service, you know. I could tell you more, but you get the idea. My mom and I had a great relationship. But my family was disciplinary. And the one thing I learned from my mom, the first thing I learned from my mom and my dad is this, that no, by God Almighty, meant no. Everybody say, no. No. When you heard that from my mama or my daddy, they didn't mean maybe, they didn't mean well. I've seen people say, don't you go over there and touch that, and then the kid go over there and touch it, and they run over there. I declare, you're just raising a hellion. My mama said, don't touch that. You didn't touch it. My daddy said, son, be still. You couldn't tell the difference between me and a mannequin. (laughs) No meant no. Absolutely, unequivocally, no. Let me show you how my mom persuaded me to obey that. I have with me a prop that I want to show you today because many of you have never seen one of these. I'm 56 years old, and I can probably bench press your car. And this still makes me want to wet my pants. (laughs) A lot of you young people think, that's just a stick. No, 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 no. This is not a stick. This is a switch. It took me 56 years to figure out why this is called a switch. Does anybody know? I'll tell you why. Because when this is swiftly applied to the posterior or to the thighs. You know, a long time ago, parents used to spank their kids. The Bible says, spank your youngin'. That was a weak amen from a conservative bunch of Georgia Christians. Let me take two on that. Take two. The Bible says, spank your youngins. Sure does. Not in those words, but that's what it says. Here's why this is called a switch. Because when my mama whacked me on her backside with this thing, it activated a switch. And a set of electrical neurons fired off that was directly connected to my eyes. And it made them open and water poured out. Which was also then connected to a little breaker that closed and connected to my mouth and my vocal cords, which made me scream. Then there was a reverse circuit that went up to my brain and made me stop and think. Wow, I've done something stupid. That's why it's called a switch. Because applied to the right place, it switches something on in the whole other end of your body. Now, I know many of you have never had the glorious experience of feeling what a switch feels like. How many of y'all have ever been spanked with a switch? Raise your hand. How many of you never have? Be honest, never have. Well, let me try to see if I can explain it to you. To what shall I compare thee? Ah, I know. If you've never been hit by a Jedi lightsaber, that's about what it would feel like right there. Mm, painful, is it not? Mm. Change, you will. Scream, you must. Dance, we shall. Now, my dad's switch was more reminiscent of a walking staff. Dad actually preferred, preferred the belt. How many of you had dads that liked the belt? 
Yeah. My dad was a master of belt work. My dad was like a samurai warrior with his sword when it came to a belt. If, if they did national martial arts forms championships, and one category was father with belt, my dad would have won the nationals every year. I used to see him out in the yard doing katas with his belt. He could flick candles off. Flies had no chance. No means no. By the way, while I'm on this, let me just say a word to all you young ladies in here. No really does mean no. And if he loves you, he will leave you alone. In terms of certain activities, and you know mundo what I'm saying. And ladies, if he will cheat with you when you marry him, he will cheat on you. I noticed not one man clapped in that whole... You you notice that? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves. It also says, No discipline seems pleasant at the moment. That's the one verse of Scripture in the Bible. Every time I read it, I just think, duh, you know. But Your mom, your dad, your caregiver brings discipline into your life because they love you. I thank God every time my mom switched on my brain. Now, I didn't thank her at the time, but I thank her now. I'm sure it's because the combination of switch and belt that I'm not in prison for killing two or three people today. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Discipline, listen, we live in a society that frowns upon discipline. We live in a society that frowns upon accountability. I want to let all of us know something today. We are all going to be held accountable by God for what we say and what we do. There is no way to avoid it. All of us are going to answer to God. You just think you answer to your mama. You just think you answer to your daddy. No, we're going to answer to God. There's no getting around it. I don't believe that. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. God's not impressed by what you or I believe. You can believe that we were all frogs up until yesterday. I freaked a kid out one time. I was a youth pastor, and we were having this esoteric discussion about human philosophy and origins and all this stuff. And I said, well, you know, for that matter, we could have all been salamanders up until yesterday, and God could have changed us into people and given us a whole lifetime of memories. But the truth is, we've been sitting in the swamp until yesterday. This one little kid just zoned out. He went, wow. I lost him for the rest of the meeting. I want to say this to you moms, especially to people who are in blended families. It is unfair to make dad discipline man all the time. Don't tell your kid, when your daddy gets home, you're there now. Let me introduce you to, say hello to my little friend. (laughs) This is worse than anything Al Pacino ever ever had, let me tell you. I could never do that. Let me tell you something about your youngins. They do not come with halos. It's quiet. None of our kids are born with halos. I heard somebody say I was. No, you weren't. I promise you weren't. And I know you weren't because I wasn't. And if I wasn't, I know you wasn't. It's unfair to make dad discipline man. 
Don't threaten your kids with the father. Don't make him do all the discipline in the household. Mom, you bring discipline to bear too. You know what? There was no such thing as time out in my house. You know what time out was in my house? That was something teams called in basketball games. Or the, the moment or two you needed to recover when mama turned the switch on and then she left the bedroom and she was done. There was a time out when you needed to sit there and go, <laughs> and suck enough air to get your consciousness back. That was time out. I'm not saying time out's wrong. I'm saying there are various forms of discipline. But I'm saying whatever form you choose to employ it, employ it promptly. Be good to your word. If you tell your child, listen to me now. This ain't even biblical, spiritual, religious. This is just plain old common sense. If you tell your child, don't touch the tissue paper out of that tissue box over there. And your child goes, I have What are you supposed to do? A little salt, that'd be pretty good. Mm, Tabasco. <laughs> A little chalky, but it's okay. Yes, I ate it. Um, the things I do for you. Don't let your child test the boundaries you set without consequences. Because if they don't believe in your boundaries, they won't believe in the teacher's boundaries. And if they don't believe in the teacher's boundaries, they're not going to believe in the police officer's boundaries. And if you don't discipline your children now, you can plan to visit them in prison later. I promise you, you are not in a political contest to win votes with your children and be their best buddy. You are there to parent them. Do your job as a parent first. Friendship will come later. Because I'm going to tell you something. To a 13-year-old, it don't matter how cool you are, mom or dad, you ain't as cool as their friends. And you ain't ever going to be until they get about 25. Then you're going to become a genius in just about six months. They're going to realize how brilliant you actually were all, all along and how brain-dead, zombie-idiotic their friends were. But it takes about 25, 26 years. The second thing my mama taught me is this. Seemingly unrelated items, when put together properly, yield Amazing results. Seemingly unrelated items, when put together properly, yield amazing results. This pastor was elected to a church. He came into the church, asked this deacon was on the schedule to take up the offering. Old deacon got up, had on coveralls and a flannel shirt and big old bushy beard, and waddled himself up to the platform, grabbed the pulpit with both hands, he said, everybody, let's pray. Closed his eye. He said, Lord, I don't much care to eat lard. I don't much like raw eggs, neither. I don't much care for flour. And I sure don't like the taste of baking powder in my mouth. But Lord, when you mix all these things together and cook them in an oven, I sure do like biscuits. <laughs> Seemingly unrelated things, when blended together properly, can yield amazing results. Let me give you an example. I brought another prop. I'm going to resist the urge to break this open and tear everything out of it. This is what I call my truck bag. It is a military bag from Germany. No questions about that. And in it, this is canvas. In it, I have a plethora of disparate items 
that seem to have nothing whatsoever to do with each other. I'm not going to take all these things out, but I will show you a couple of them. One is a device for self-preservation. Starts with a G, ends with a K, and has L-O-C in the middle of it. I have a device here for purifying water. All you folks that have water purification tablets and filters, boiling water is the only sure way to purify it. I have a tarp. Notice my tarp is camouflaged because I fear if I have to use this truck bag, I will not want to be discovered or rescued. I have a lot more stuff in here. I have a Navy SEAL issued fighting knife. That's for one thing. I also have a woodcrafting knife, and that's for a whole different set of stuff that you do. And I could go on and on and on and on. I got stuff bagged up in silni bags that are watertight in here, so I don't want to drag everything out. But a lot of this stuff, you know, when you put it together, it really doesn't seem to relate very well, you know, to each other. I've got, I've got spices in there and cloth. I've got burn cloth. I've got regular cloth. I've got garbage bags in here. I've got little compressed discs of food that are supposed to last for 25 years, and they taste about like that napkin over there. But they've, they've got a lot of calories in them, and, and they're good to keep you alive, I guess. The significance of all this disparate, strange stuff being in this bag is this. When you put all this stuff together in a bag, and you have it with you in the truck, if something bad, really, really bad were to happen, or if you just decided to get away for a few days, this bag would enable me to live for at least three days, possibly two weeks if I played it right, potentially indefinitely in the wilderness if I really wanted to. All these different items that work together could keep me alive in the wilderness for the rest of my life if I really wanted to in that one little bag. Seemingly unrelated items, when put together properly, can yield amazing results. My mom used to sit me down and talk to me about stuff from time to time. My mom used to share with me principles and truths from the Word of God from time to time. Sometimes I'd wonder, why in the world is my mama telling me this? And then, as time went by, I would understand why she's telling me this. It's for my good. It's to grow me up. It's to teach me something. It's to mature me. My mom taught me how to cook. That's a wonderful thing. I married one of the best cooks in the world. But because I know how to cook, I don't have to all the time pester her and say, I'm hungry, fix me something. You helpless little man. Learn how to cook. That's women's work. No, it ain't. Great men all over the world know how to cook. Ain't nothing feminine about me, and I know how to cook. It won't hurt any of us to learn how to cook. Ain't no such thing as women's work. There's just work. I fold laundry, Jackson Brown. I dust and vacuum if I have to. Now, I do hate to vacuum. I hate it with a passion. But I will do it if I have to. Can we stop all the talking out there? Number one, sometimes we can't understand what's happening until it's over. Sometimes we do not understand what's happening until it is over. You know what happens then? Then we eat. My mama would get in the kitchen and stuff would start flying. Man, there'd be flour and eggs and stuff and milk and lard and all kind of stuff and chicken over here and beans over there. She'd be flying stuff and throwing stuff around. I think my mom could take grass, dirt, and tree bark and make it taste good. She was an amazing cook. She really was. 
Sometimes we don't understand what's happening in our lives with the discipline God's bringing us. Sometimes the things we're going through don't make sense. God, why is this happening to me? God, what did I ever do to deserve this? Why is X, Y, Z not happening in my life? I know none of you have ever been in this situation before. We all have. God, why is this happening in my life? Or why is this not happening? Why did I want this so bad and it turned out completely opposite of what I asked for? We've all felt those frustrations about different things in our lives. Listen, If your mom loves you, and if your mom brings discipline, if your mom knows how to cook different kind of things together to make a great meal, so does God. You might not understand what's happening in your life right now, but if, and this is the the caveat, if you trust God, if you will walk in concert with his leadership in your life, if you'll put yourself in his hands and in his watch care, then in time it will be revealed the purpose and the reason and the glory behind what God is doing and you will suddenly understand and you will be blessed. We don't always understand what's happening until it's over and then all of a sudden God says, this is what I was doing the whole time. How many of you have ever been on a a place or in a place where you see people do ice sculptures? Anybody ever seen ice sculpturing? It's pretty amazing stuff. These guys start chopping on something. You don't know what they're doing. And all of a sudden, something begins to take shape. And, and then before you know it, it's a beautiful dolphin, you know, with a blue light shining through it. I'm thinking, how in the world did they do that? If I were to try to do that, I'd have ice cubes. <laughs> Look, pastor made crushed ice. You know how everybody's all the time doing stuff with pallets? I saw a great meme the other day on Pinterest, I think it was. It was just a pile of wood out in the yard. And the caption said, look what I did with a pallet. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's great. You just tore it up and made a pile of wood. I love it. Mothers nurture. That's what moms do. So does God. So should we. Mothers nurture. So does God. So should we. Take charge of the atmosphere of your home. Now, I want you to listen to your pastor, okay? And I just want you to hear me for a minute or two because this is important. Used to be in church years ago when I was young, before I really got full-blown in the ministry, and maybe a little while after I was in it, The big thing that ministers and pastors had a lot of difficulties with as far as things that brought tension into the household was soap operas. Well, there's hardly any soap operas like there used to be. There's a few, but there's not many of them around. And what has instead replaced soap operas now are reality shows. Can I just tell you that it has never been God's will for your your family or home life to resemble a reality TV show? Don't take your cues from drama queens. Don't take your cues from stuff that's not real and has been scripted most of the time anyway. That's not how normal, sensible, healthy, disciplined, psychologically sound people behave. It's quiet. Y'all agree with me? I hope so. I was about to start slinging oil and praying over you. Everything doesn't have to be a drama. You can actually have a home where peace reigns. Think of that. Take charge of the atmosphere in your home. Let your home be a place where people are nurtured. Nurturing doesn't just mean you feed them. There's more to nurturing than just feeding people. If nurturing were all about food, we'd all weigh 400 pounds. Nurturing is about more than just feeding people. 
Nurturing is about raising people up in the way they should go. Nurturing is about watch care over your children. Nurturing is about teaching your kids the principles of the Word of God. Nurturing is about caring for one another in every possible way. Yes, the physical needs are important, but also, how about your emotional well-being? How about your mental health? God is a nurturing God. If you read the Bible, you will find that there is something in there for every problem you'll ever face in your lifetime. It's the greatest psychological manual in the world. It's the greatest self-help motivational book you've ever read in your life. It's the greatest coaching book you've ever read in your life. Anything you and I need for growth, for nurturing, for development, you find it in the Word of God. But we, as parents, moms, dads, we have to take charge of the atmosphere in our home. You cannot just allow any kind of atmosphere to develop by default. You have to take charge of the atmosphere and guide it and steer it. If you don't, chaos will reign in your house. And whoever the strongest personality is, your whole household will smell like them. Went deer hunting a few years back with somebody, and they parked about from here to the back of the church from me, and I got out, and they got out. And the wind was blowing from them to me, and I went, I said, hey, man. They said, what? I said, I smell you. He said, what do you mean? I said, I smell you. Your wife laundered your clothes, and in the dryer, she put one of those Snuggles dryer sheets in there. You smell like a teddy bear. He said, you can't smell me. I said, I can so. I said, did your wife use it? He said, yeah. I said, I can smell it. He said, well, deer can't smell that. I said, look at my nose. Look at a deer's nose. Deer smells 30,000 times better than not. His nose is that long. Deer can smell you like that three miles away. I said, you, you're not, you may kill a little doe or a basket. Hey, you're not going to ever kill a big buck walking around smelling like snuggles. <laughs> we give off a fragrance. We give off our own personal aura. We give off our own personal... Donna says that I wong her. You're wonging. What are you upset about? You're wonging me. She's, I got mad at my little dog the other day, Quinby, all 10 pounds of him. He wouldn't stop barking. He loves to hear himself bark. He barks for no reason. He just barks to hear himself. He'll sit there and go, Arr! and he just like pierces into the center of your head. So I'd had enough of him barking. Jeremy's dog, Boston, barks one time. Arr! Quinby barks 37 times to every one time. And just on and on. So I finally grabbed him, and I said, stop barking! He was like. If I let him steer the atmosphere of my house, I'll be like a cat hanging by my claws from a ceiling fan. You can't let somebody control the whole household with drama, with anger, with frustration, with fear, with, with anxiety. These hand-wringing, worry-wart people. Stop being that. The Bible says the just shall live by what? Don't be a worrier. Don't talk about negative things just before you're getting ready to go to sleep at night, for God's sake. Lay your head down on your pillow. You've taken your melatonin. You've drunk your sleepy time tea. You've got the noisemaker on. You're laying down. You've got your pillow fluffed just right. You've got your blankets up. You're, you're getting in the position, you know. Trying to find the right place. Hold your mouth just right. And your wife walks in and says, have you paid the light bill? It's like, ah! 
peace shattered. It's not really about the food, is it? Let's all have dinner together. All right, what you cooking? It doesn't matter really, does it? King James household. Mother, shalt thou create the fatted calf, and shalt thou allow me to devour it thus? Translation to modern day English. Yo, we having some poke chop? It's not about the food. We had a rule at my house. You had two options. Eat the food in front of you or don't eat the food in front of you. There was no going to the refrigerator and getting a snack when mama cooked a four-course meal on the table. You're going to eat that or my father's going to get a crease and then he's going to go get big brother to switch. You're going to eat or you're going to go bow, bow, bow hungry. It's not really about the food. It's not really about how big and nice and expensive the house is. It's not really about how many clothes you have or what brand name stamped on them. It's not really about how new or nice the car is. It's not really about any of those things. It's about the memories you're making together as a family. When psychologists tell us we should eat one meal a day together as a family, it's not so we can hear each other chew and tell each other you got food on your lip. It's not that. It's so we can sit together and share our lives. And I might suggest something to you. This is going to sound radical. It's going to sound heretical. You're going to want to throw tomatoes and rocks at me when I say this. But maybe, just maybe, we should think and pray and consider and contemplate the faint possibility of having a policy at home that when we sit down to eat dinner or lunch or whenever it is, and I know what I'm talking about is fantasy for most people, but if we do have a meal together, maybe we should all actually put our cell phones down and sort of talk to each other. And I say that with one finger pointing at you and three pointing back at me because I'm guilty too. I'll sit there and some, something will light up my screen. It's like, <laughs> there is a button on that thing called OFF. It stands for only family, fool. Not really. <laughs> I want to close with this. Moms can be really cool when they want to. They can go all in for their family. Your mom might wear might wear mom jeans pulled up to her armpits. She can still be cool. Your mom might dress like somebody out of the 1940s. She can still be cool. Your mom might not look like a supermodel. She can still be cool. Your mom doesn't have to fit into some mold. She can be cool. My mama was cool. My mama was cool. Because my mama would do stuff that other mamas wouldn't. My mom went fishing. With my dad. My mom went squirrel hunting, and she actually killed stuff. I'm telling you, don't mess with my mama. She could shoot that 22 rifle pretty good. She went hiking. She went camping. She played ball in the yard with us as kids. My mom was cool. She would do stuff. Now, listen to this. My mom is so scared of alligators, it's just like you can't believe it. My dad took her fishing to a lake one day, and she's fishing out there, and... She's, she notices something behind the boat. And she says, R.L., what is that back there? He said, oh, that's not anything. Don't pay attention to that. She said, R.L., what is that? He said, I don't, I, just don't worry about it, Vera. She said, R.L., is that an alligator? Daddy said, honey, just quit. She said, tell me now, is that an alligator? Daddy said, yes, Vera, it's an alligator. She said, oh, God forbid, and grabbed her chest and almost had a heart attack. She just couldn't take alligators. So, so my daddy said let's go fishing it was in like january and she said okay 
So she got her waders on, got her rod and reel, and they went to Lake Moultrie. If you were to go to Lake Moultrie, Lake Moultrie, South Carolina, right now and put a boat in the water, you, dr- you drive two or three miles, you're going to see 20 or 30 alligators. They are everywhere, and they look like prehistoric dinosaurs. They're huge. Daddy didn't tell my mama that. She's out there wading in the water waist deep. Now, if you go in January when it's cold, the, the alligators are pretty much hibernating. They won't mess with you, at least most of the time that we know of. <laughs> so, mom's out there fishing. And she's not stupid. Daddy's out there fishing. He's catching fish. Mama's, mama caught a seven and a half pound bass. I think one of the first few casts she made by a little tree out there. Mama's looking around, and after a while, she says, R.L.? Daddy said, yeah. They're out there wading, way out from shore, still about this deep. She said, R.L., there are any gators in here? He said, not this time of year. She said, what does that mean? <laughs> he said, well, in the summertime, they're all over the place. Oh, God forbid, get me out of here. You know, she was afraid of alligators, but she was willing to go fishing with my daddy, and she knew there were alligators in Lake Moultrie, but she trusted daddy that the gators were going to leave her alone in the cold weather, and they did. They didn't bother her. My mom was willing to do stuff, not so she could be cool. She was willing to do stuff because she was willing to go all in for the family. Now, let me say a word to the gentlemen who are here today. All you guys, I have two words for you about how to treat your wife. And we're going to talk about this more in the future. But I want you to hear these two words, and I want you to put them into practice. And if you do this, you'll be blessed, I promise. Here they are. Be thoughtful. It doesn't cost you a dime to be thoughtful. My first priority in my whole life is to please God. My second priority in my whole life is to make Donna Yarborough smile as many times as I can. I don't care who likes that. I don't care who doesn't like it. A lot of guys say, I ain't ain't whooped. (laughs) Say what you want. Doesn't make you any better husband, any better man. Treating your wife nice doesn't mean you're whooped. It means you understand a few things about life. It means you're wise. It means you understand a little bit about romance. And when I mean romance, I don't necessarily mean romance. I just mean being sweet. It takes more effort to be mean than it does to be sweet. You know that? It takes more muscles to, smi- to frown than it does to smile. You, I, it's amazing how easy it is just to be nice if you decide, you know what, I just want to be nice. Be thoughtful. My mom went fishing, hunting, hiking, camping, and played ball in the yard Be selfless. Be selfless. Learn how to be selfless. Instead of selfish, be selfless. Mom didn't love to play baseball. She wasn't a pace baseball player. But she was willing to do that for the good of us kids. I remember when I first started playing little league ball, my family, it was embarrassing because I I couldn't hit the baseball at all. I was like eight years old, seven years old. I went out there, I know nothing about baseball. Had this glove that was as big as my torso. I didn't know how to play baseball. I got there, I struck out every time. One time I got walked, and my mom, my dad, and my sisters jumped up and cheered because I got walked. Humiliating. How bad of a player do you have to be when your family cheers that you got walked? I'm on base through no skill and talent of my own. Yay! My mom and dad got out in the yard. And I thought they were doing this for me. They were really doing it for themselves. I helped this poor, uncoordinated kid of mine, you know. Daddy would throw me balls, and I would hit them, and Mom would uh, chase them down and throw them back to Dad. 
I remember going back in the house, and Dad would look at her and shake his head. Mom would look at me and say, son, don't you be discouraged now. You can play baseball just as good as anybody else. You just believe you can, and you can. Yes, Mama. Yes, Mama. And I believed her. And things changed, and I've told you about those stories. I got better. We should be willing to try things that might not be our first choice for the good of the family. We should be willing to try things that might not be our first personal choice for the good of the family. I'm going to tell you a secret on on Pastor Donna. Pastor Donna is sort of unnerved by heights. She doesn't like heights. And all this started on our, what, second year anniversary? Our second year anniversary, we went out to New Mexico, drove a little Pontiac Sunbird out there that broke down on the way. And uh, this merciful angel of God fixed it for $4.00. And uh, we got out there to see my sister in New Mexico, and nothing would do. We had to go see the Grand Canyon. Had to go. If you ever go out west, you've got to see the Grand Canyon. Go at sunset. Go at sunset. You won't appreciate it going in the middle of the day. Make sure you're there when the sun goes down. It's so beautiful. So we go out there, and there's this long rock thing that goes way out in the canyon. You, know, you can walk on it. I said, hey, let's walk out here. And they had it you know, cabled off. And we walked out there, and we, we got on this rock, and it's like 3,000 feet straight down, you know. And we got out on this rock, you know, and we're right here, and we're holding on to the cables. We're right here, and we're, we're looking down, and Donald was like, oh, Roland, this is so beautiful. And just imagine, God made this, and she's waxing poetic, everything spiritual. She, I mean, the anointing is just flowing, you know. And I just said, look straight down. She said, and God, oh, God! <laughs> And she wilted like a flower in an oven. I'm telling you, I had to carry her off that thing. And from that moment, she's been afraid of heights. We went to Gatlinburg one year, Pigeon Forge. And this was back when they first came out with these evil, heinous, godless devices. Big cranes attached to bungee cords that came down to a little circular seat. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. It's like a giant slingshot for idiots. We sit in this seat. They buckle us in 14 ways. And Donna said, Donna's like, what is this going to do? I said, I I think it slings us. I knew what it did. I said, I think it slings us up. She said, Roland, is this going to be Roland? Roland, what what have you gotten me into, Roland? They got a little hook on the bottom of that seat. All of a sudden, I see those bungee cords tightening up, and I'm just grinning. I'm thinking, this is going to be a hoot, you know. Hope I don't have to clean this ride for these people, you know, tightening this slingshot. All of a sudden, the guy goes, three, two, one, boom, and he pulls that trigger, and we shoot like a rocket straight up in the air about 100 feet. And I, I, still, can't, I still can't have here out of this ear. <laughs> Birds fell out of the sky. Cats across town, you know. She is screaming. She's got a, you think women ain't strong. She clamped that thing. I'm talking about the claw on my knee. You know. I was squatting 700 pounds back then. She about broke my leg. And while you're going up, this seat's spinning around. Oh, yeah. And then you come, and then you fall down, and, and you bounce. Doink, and it goes, doink. Doink, and it's all over the place. And I'm in this thing, and I'm thinking, God, what have I gotten us into? I ain't never felt nothing like this in, in my life. But you know what? She did it. Zena, warrior princess. She rode the slingshot, baby. One of these days, I'm going to fool her back on it. <laughs> At least she was willing. She might not do it again, but she was willing. 
A loving mother is willing to do things for her family that might not be her first choice. You know, it's not always about us, is it? It can't. If it is, we're selfish. Listen, we should always be willing to grow and lead us into things that are new. Because when Jesus came here, it wasn't all about him. It was all about us. He did what he did for you and me. When Jesus came, he's our pattern. He lived a completely selfless life. He did everything he did for you and for me. Moms ought to be the same way, and many of them are. They're willing to do whatever's necessary for the good of their family. They're willing to make themselves uncomfortable. They're willing to try new things for the good of the family. Dave, if you'll come play. I want to close with a few thoughts. One thing about moms that we all know is that moms love. How many of you are moms in here? Raise your hands. Moms. How many of you love your family? Raise your hand. Yeah. Moms love. So does God. So should we. I want you to just stop right now and don't think about anything that's going to happen in the next few minutes or after the service. Just stop and ask yourself, do I really have the love of God in my heart for the people in my life? Do I really love people the way Jesus loved people? Do I really love people? And, and you know, I could, I could talk about a mother's heart and a mother's love and all that, but man, I've heard those little hokey things so many times. I just want to ask you, do we love like Jesus loved? Do we really care about people? Are we willing to put actions behind what we profess with our mouths? Are we really willing to make ourselves uncomfortable? Are we willing to go the extra distance, to go the extra mile for our families, for the people in our lives? Are we? Moms do. Jesus did. We should too. Moms don't just love, they nurture. So does God. So should all of us. We ought to take a cue from my mothers today. They cook, they clean. They care, they love, they nurture. You bang your knee, most kids run to mama. Mama, mama, I hurt my knee. Mama sprays. My mama didn't believe in Bactine because that didn't hurt. And Mercuricomb, Mercuricomb is nothing. That was a cakewalk. My mom found this stuff in hell called Merthiolate. I think she got it from Satan. It's some kind of orange stuff, and it felt like liquid molten lava on my leg. It was unbelievable. So I started saying, Daddy, I got a boo-boo. <laughs> Daddy'd brush it off, squirt some water, and say, You'll be fine, boy. Stay away from that methylate. Mom's nurture. How many times have you, Mom, sat down with a daughter or a son and talked them through a tough time? How many times have you sat down with a discouraged husband and built him up, let him think, you, you're the dragon slayer in our family. We can do this together. Moms do this. They nurture. They reach out. They care. They encourage. They build up. They feed, not just food, but, but emotional support, spiritual support. A lot of times in the home, the woman is the most spiritual person there. And it really shouldn't be that way. The husband ought to be the high priest of the home. He ought to be leading the Bible study. He ought to be leading in prayer. He ought to be the one saying, hey, get up. We're going to church, going to the house of God. No woman ought to have to drag her husband to church. Ought to be leading the charge. 
It's not effeminate to be a man of God. I believe the only real men in the world are men of God. Everybody else is just putting up a front. And lastly, moms go all in for their families. So should we. We're in a whole series that's painted on the wall back there called All In. Pastor Brad referred to All In during the offering today. And what it is is we've challenged every person in our church to just go all in in your walk with God, in your growth as a person, in your maturity in Christ, in your development as a parent, as a child, as a, as a, a wife, as a spouse, a husband, a sibling, whatever role you find yourself in, to just be the best you you can possibly be and let God grow you into the best you you can possibly be, to become the best version of you that God can possibly make you. That's what all in is to us. I'm going to tell you what, moms will go all in for their families, even to the point of laying down their lives. I've seen several photographs over the years of atrocities that have taken place in different countries, and I won't, I won't elaborate or get specific or pick just one, but on, in several of them, you can see a mother trying to cover her baby with her body to protect that baby as she was gassed or shot or stabbed or whatever, trying to protect her child with her last breath. That's the kind of passion we ought to have for our families, for the people that we love. Unyielding, unwavering, indomitable, unintimidatable. That's who we ought to be. And I'm going to tell you something. That's who you can be. That's who you can be. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Father, in this moment, I just pray right now that you speak to every person's heart. I just pray right now that you challenge everyone here to realize that we can, we can be more than we have. We can expand ourselves. We can reach beyond our own self-perceived limitations. And we can become nurturers like moms. We can become caregivers like mothers. We can reach and stretch ourselves to do things that we've never done before, to try different things, to be, to be willing to, to step outside our own little zone of, of comfort for the good of our families. And always to be nurturers, to build people up, to encourage, to have the heart of a mom who says to her child, you can do this thing. To have the heart of a mom that says, here, let me clean that scrape off your knee. To have the heart of a mom who says, here, I want to I fix a special meal for you today because it's your birthday. I want to treat you special today. To have the heart of a mom who will bring discipline to our lives when we need it. I pray, oh God, that all of us today would be more like the moms that have been so powerfully influential in our lives. And it all begins with decision making it all begins with a willingness to change it all begins with understanding with your heads bowed and your eyes closed I want to ask one question today and it's a question I ask all the time here at this church because it's the most important question anybody will ever ask you and the power of this question is the very moment I ask it you're going to immediately know the answer to it and the question is this, are you really living a Christian life? Most people respond to that by some statement about I believe in God or 
I'm a member of some church, and God doesn't care about that. Even the demons in hell believe in God and tremble with fear. You can find that in James chapter 2. It's not just about believing in God. It takes more than that. It takes a relationship. And all relationship with God begins when we recognize our need for a Savior and we repent of our sins. So I want to ask you to get real with yourself as we close this service. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to identify you. I just want you to be honest. If there's sin in your life, you know it. When I count to three, if you know you're not living a Christian life, I'm going to ask you to lift your eyes and look at me when I count to three. This is your moment. This is why God brought you here today. But it only works if you're truthful and honest. So I'm going to count to three. And if there's sin in your life, you know you're not really living a Christian life, lift your eyes and look at me. One, two, three. Lift them up right now. I see your eyes. Praise God for you. I see your eyes and your eyes. Praise God for you. This is your moment. Lift them up. I see your eyes. Praise God for you. Are there others? Lift them up. If you haven't already, do it now. I see your eyes. Praise God for you. I see your eyes. Praise God for you. see yours and yours. Praise God for you. Let's all stand to our feet. Heavenly Father, as we close this service, I pray that the power of your word, the Proverbs 31 woman, the story of the Shunammite, she was willing to lay her life down. She would not let go of the prophet. She was never going to stop until she got her son back. She was willing to go to any length to rescue her child. I pray, oh God, that today all of us who are here would understand that life is a one-shot deal. There are no do-overs. There are no second chances. This is not dress rehearsal. This is live one-shot recording. It's just life lived one moment at a time. And we're never going to get these moments back. We're never going to get another chance. I pray, oh God, that in this moment, you would see and hear the cries of the people here who lifted their eyes and looked at me. And they said, there's sin in my life. And I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to pray this prayer now. I want everybody in the house to pray it out loud behind me. And those of you who lifted your eyes and looked at me, if you mean this with all your heart, when we get done praying, you're going to be just as forgiven and clean and saved as anybody ever has. So everybody in the house, including you, pray it out loud just like this. Heavenly Father, you know everything about me. I confess all my sin. But more than just confess... I repent. And repentance means more than I'm sorry. Repentance means I turn away. I turn to you, Jesus. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Wash me clean by your blood. I receive by faith the free gift of your salvation. I'll never go back to a life of sin. But I'll serve you all my days. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Can we give God praise in the house now?